I'm Todd Starnes. I have the privilege of the pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and thank you for joining us for our podcast. This is part five of our series, Basic Training. We're closing out the series with this sermon, and it's based on, focused on, evangelism. How do we engage in spiritual warfare, and how does evangelism partner with that? And so I hope this is a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. Remember, if you want more information about us, go to odessafirst.com or find us on any of the social media platforms. Let's dive in to this week's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Are you ready to jump in with me? So, man, I did all that and didn't even start my timer. So my timer starts now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 is where we're going to begin. And it says this. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? So if I could just interject, leading up to this, there has been there's some division in the church in Corinth that some are saying Paul's our guy, our guy, and some saying Apollos is our guy. And so Paul is really making a point here to say, it doesn't matter whether you're following me or you're following Apollos as long as you're following Jesus. But in verse 5, we pick up, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I'm going to say that again. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together. Everyone say together. Work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's fields, you are God's building. I love this verse. I know maybe some of you are familiar with this verse. And I can give you a very practical illustration about this passage. And one is many, of course, if you know my wife, Angela, if you, she was up here just a moment ago. And I know many of you are close to her. But Angela is an evangelist at heart. She never meets a stranger, no matter where we are. And she's always presenting the gospel. And... You know, it takes a team to do things. It takes a body to do things. And yeah, she's good about spread, you know, inviting people. And, and, but there's many times where I, give, I get to give altar calls because of people that she's invited. And then they respond and accept the Lord. And so all of us have a part to play. And some do plant, some do water, but it is God that makes the increase. And the part that God has for you to play, to participate in, is just as important as the rest of the team. Are you following me this morning? God's work requires all of us, the body, individuals, with our varying gifts and abilities. There are few superstars, but there's a bunch of team members And we're needed to serve together. And as we serve together, it gives this world the picture of what a healthy family is. Listen, let me say it this way. This is your first in the blank if you got your notebook there. But the effectiveness of one member depends in a large way on the effectiveness of all. I mean, that's a kind of really fancy way to say that for me to be effective, it takes all of you. 
For Sammy to be effective, it takes all of us. Are you following me? For Angela to be effective, it takes all of us. For Tony to be effective, it takes all of us. And so as we come together as the body of Christ, we can see a difference made. Many may only see partial results because of what you do. Sometimes you may be frustrated because maybe you've never led somebody personally to the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, they have made, you never know how effective the seed that you planted was. Because somebody else in three, four, five different meetings down the road, or maybe some evangelist in, in another town having a special meeting gives an altar call, and somebody you planted the seed in years ago responds to that altar call. It takes all of us to do this work. We can even... It, we, we cannot misunderstand or overemphasize our role in God's plan. And it is only God that makes things grow. Now, there's two, two different passages in Scripture, and I want to look at those very quickly. One is Matthew chapter 28, and one is Mark chapter 16. Matthew 28 and Mark 16. And you're going to be familiar with these passages, but... Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came to them. This is, of course, after his death and resurrection, right before the ascension. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're actually going to celebrate that in a few moments again this week. I... I think this is awesome about our church. Can we just celebrate just for a moment? Today, we are going to celebrate our eighth round of water baptisms this year. Can we celebrate that? We have baptized nearly 30 people this year by immersion in water. That is so awesome to celebrate. And that is the glory of God. God has made the increase to allow us to be able to do that. And so we're going we're gonna to baptize in immersion this morning. But listen, it says, go, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Go preach the gospel. But I think sometimes where we get hung up, our imagery of preaching the gospel is what I'm doing to you right now. Is this a form of preaching the gospel? Absolutely. But listen to me. When we're talking about the Great Commission, it is the Great Commission and not the Great Suggestion. Right? Do you hear me? It's not about the Great... It's not a suggestion from the Lord. It is a command that we share the gospel. Now listen, there are two categories of sin. And I've never, I have never um, talked about evangelism or the commission, you know, preaching the gospel, sharing our faith in this way. But I, I really felt this deep in my heart as I prepared this. But there, there are two kind of, kind of categories, and I'm not talking about like sins of the flesh and all that kind of stuff. But it, we can really boil it down to two different things. There are two categories of sin. The things that we should do, I have a topo, I hope, did you fix it? No, you topoed with me, I think, Tony. Or maybe it's not a typo, sometimes, that, anyway, 
There, there are things that we should do that we don't do, that we do. Things that we should not do that we, oh, that is right, okay. I'm back, I'm here. There are the things that we should not do that we do. So there are things in Scripture that we know that we're not supposed to do. I mean, I know there's some people that talk about gray areas, and that, but, I, but there are things lying out in Scripture that we know that we're not to participate in, that we're not to do, and then if we do it, it is sin. The Bible tells us that a person that is tempted is lured and enticed because of that, that, na- that sinful nature desire that works in them, and that causes us to do the things that we know that we shouldn't do. But there is a second category. The things that we are supposed to do that we don't. There are things that we're supposed to do that we don't. And that is also sin. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in James chapter 4 and verse 17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do than not do it. That's pretty black and white and clear, is it not? So we know there are things that the Lord wants from us, and if we don't do that, then it is sin. I'm going to submit to you, if it is a command for us to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to share our faith, and we are being resistant to that, whatever, I mean, our excuse may be that we're fearful, we don't know exactly what to say, we don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, this is the reality of it all. We are going to be held accountable. We're going to be held accountable. And that should be a sobering thought to us. But let's talk about it just for a moment. So, who is called to preach the gospel? Who is called to preach the gospel? We are. We, not just I, we are called. You, so you in the pew, right? Everybody point at, point, point. I know that's rude, but point at you. We, us, we are called to preach the gospel. The Bible tells us Romans 10:14, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in them if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Listen, your circle of influence is possibly far greater than what mine will ever be. Matter of fact, if I know we have some students, but just process this for a moment. If you, if you go to like a, if you go to a 5A, 6A school, from your freshman year to your senior year, you will rub shoulders. You will at least know people and, and, and come in contact. You'll come in contact with more people that you can present the gospel to than the rest of your life combined. Think about that. I mean, that's, that's, that's a powerful thought, but regardless, all of us are surrounded by people, and it's up to us to share the gospel. Who's called to preach the gospel? We are. That's not about a paycheck to preach a sermon. That's about that we are all servants of the Lord. We've all been given the same command to share our faith. The them in Matthew 28, the them, you know, he tells them, go preach the gospel, Go, go make disciples, that them is us, not just to the disciples. The second thing is this, where are we supposed to preach the gospel? Where are we supposed to preach the gospel? Everywhere. Everywhere is where we preach the gospel. 
And sometimes we, we, I think we process, we're like, you know, if I accept this call, if I, if I live out this command, um, then God might call me to, to, uh, to Africa. Well, that, number one, that would be awesome. Number two, that might be the case. But number three, it's not always the case. And so when you think about that, that we're going all the world to preach the gospel, how about we think of it this way? Go into all of your world and preach the gospel. How about I go into all of my world and preach the gospel? That means where I'm shopping groceries. That means where I'm eating lunch. That means my neighbors that surround me. And so I have a term for you called frangelization. You've never heard of that word, have you? Frangelization. We're talking about frangelization. What does that mean? It means, number one, I'm going to share my faith with friends. I would dare say that most of in the room has some sort of acquaintance that doesn't know the Lord. That's where we start. That's going into our world. We can also start with relatives. See, it's, it's, it's an acrostic of FR, so the R is the next one, relatives. And I, I know I've shared this story before. It's been a while. He's, he has passed away. But I had, a, I had a, um, an uncle, a great uncle, and um, he, had, uh, he had fought in, in World War II and had come home, and they were fixing to send him back for a second tour and in World War II, and he, even back then, he, him and his family, they knew nothing of the gospel. They were, they were immigrants here, and um, he had never had a presentation of the gospel, and, and in between tours, someone knocked on his door, and he opens the door, and they said, do you want to be saved? I mean, that's just how they opened the conversation. Do you want to be saved? He said, yes, I want to be saved. I mean, in his mind, he's thinking that he's going to go, he, he was lucky enough to make it through the first tour. He's about to go back and fight again, and he's really thinking the odds are against him. And so he said, yeah, what do I do? And, and the guy told him, he said, you've got to be bathed in the blood of the lamb. Well, he had no concept of what this guy's talking about. And, and the way he responded was actually this way, that is gross. <laughs> and he shut the door. And then he did make it through that second tour, but... And then he was exposed to you know, other believers on the battlefield. And when he came home, he became a very educated man. But he never bought into it because of that initial experience. Listen, I know that most of us in the room understand what that statement means. But if you know nothing about Christ and you know nothing about the gospel, I mean, process it in that way just for a moment. I mean, you, you, you mean to what? But fast forward, and so he actually wrote books against God, and, and uh, uh, I mean, was, was an atheist, and um, all this type of stuff. And we'd go to family reunions in, in Mississippi, and, and so the rest of the family, you know, they kind of, I guess, had their, I mean, he was the black sheep, you know, and, a lot of, and most of the family had their, kind of their feel of him, because um, he would do things like, like, we'd be blessing the meal, like, we'd be, like, even at a funeral, be blessing the meal, whatever. And um, while we're praying, he's, he'd just go get in line and start putting food on his plate. He's like, I ain't asking nobody to bless my food, you know. And he'd go through the line. Well, I, as I caught him doing that, I'd, I'd go over and, and while people were praying, I'd, I'd start having conversations. And Angela had conversations with him. And actually, one of his books, he, he wrote this book called um, The God of Our Conscience. 
And it's really about a, kind, of a, kind of a universalist viewpoint, but that there's no God. Only, the only God is our conscience is our God and you know, all this psycho stuff. And he told me, he said, if you read that book, he said, I'll sit down and have a conversation with you. And I said, okay. And so I read the book. I didn't understand 98% of what I read, but I read it. And so the next time we went to Mississippi, I told him, I said, I said Brother uh, Uncle Lope, I, I read the book. And so we did have a conversation, but he held that belief all the way until his deathbed. And just so happened, he had a hospice nurse who was a radical believer. And she prayed for him and would witness to him. And before he drew his last, last breath, she led him to the Lord. She led him to the Lord. I would submit to you that there are many in his life that sowed seed. And many in his life that watered that seed. But God gave the increase and a hospice nurse on his deathbed was able to bring in the harvest of his soul. We have relatives that need to know the Lord. And I know sometimes relatives are the most difficult people to share our faith with. But I'm going to tell you, if you can share your faith with your family, you can share your faith with anybody. Associates, those that we work with, friends, relatives, associates, those that we work with. Listen, when you are working shoulder to shoulder to people, you get to see people in every struggle, every, what they're going through, and, and you can be there for people. And I understand sometimes the, the workplace, the marketplace, it creates a unique you know, sometimes scenario, but listen, just because you're at work doesn't mean you stop being a believer. And also, of course, neighbors. So that's our friendsalization. Friends, relatives, associates, neighbors. I would encourage you to get to know your neighbors. So that's the who and the what. How about the why? Why do we preach the gospel? Because God's primary way to reach people is through people. God's primary, primary way to reach people is through people. That's why we preach the gospel. The Bible tells us, I love this verse in Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, the way the, in, the ESV says it. And then LT, it says, the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Listen, multiplication happens not because I preach the gospel, but because we preach the gospel. See, when I do it, it's addition. When we do it, it's multiplication. And so when do we preach the gospel? When do we preach the gospel? All the time. Whether by the way that you walk or the way that you talk. We're always, I, I've said it this way before, that we're all billboards of heaven. We're all, we, we all represent the but God with an exclamation point. This is where I was headed, but God. This is the bondage I had in my life, but God. This is the sin I dealt with in my life. But God. But God. And so as I was thinking about this, this is kind of a little different than um, I, I normally do things. But I do want to share one more passage with you. And I just kind of want to work through it just for a moment. And we'll do this very quickly here in the next few moments. But it's Isaiah chapter 6. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, I think we see kind of a, a pattern. Now, this is not like um, in, 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 a, in, in a, a specific order of the way to do things, but it's something I kind of want you to catch a hold of because, listen, the reality is, is that we, we will never be passionate for those who don't know Jesus unless we truly see the need for them to know Jesus. And it, it should be enough to be said, I mean, we saw our need for the Lord. I mean, how many of you here this morning that are believers knew without God it was hopeless? I mean, right? We all had to come to that place. And so sometimes we need a, a work of the Holy Spirit in the depth of us. And so Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to go through this very quickly. But Isaiah 6, verse 1, it was in the king, year of King Uzziah. This is Isaiah the prophet writing this book. And he says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And he begins to describe this vision he had from God. He was sitting on a lofty throne in the Tremens Road filled the temple. But I, I want to emphasize just really quick that, that just that those few words, it was in a year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. Now listen, some theologians believe that Isaiah was very young at the time, but him and Uzziah were first cousins. There are some theologians, but there was a, a family connection. But what we know for certain is there was a closeness between the two, and it's significant because when King Uzziah died, it hit Isaiah. He felt it. Listen to me. Our brokenness reveals the heart of God. Our brokenness reveals the heart of God. Listen, if you want to get the heartbeat of God, if you want to see through his eyes, then we do have to come to a place of brokenness. There's something I've preached to you so many times that God responds to. He responds to humility, he responds to faith, and he responds to brokenness. And when we come to the place that we are broken, when we are broken for the heart of God, we begin to see things as God sees them. And so we need to understand God's heart. What is God's heart? 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord isn't being slow about his promises, about how some people think. He is being patient for our sake. But listen, he does not want anyone destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. The Bible says that other translations tell us he wishes none to perish. That is the heart of God. The heart of God, listen, is that people, that Jesus, the one who gave his life on the cross that became the supreme sacrifice, that we, we hum, humankind, are the reward of the suffering of Jesus. We are Christ's reward to do what, the reason why he did what he did. And so we need to gain the heart of God on so sometimes you go through hurt. Sometimes you go through brokenness. And the, and the simple way I know to say it is this way, that your greatest hurt can become your greatest ministry. That thing that you're trying to forget about, that thing that you don't want nobody else to know about, did you know you're surrounded by people who've been through that same thing? And I know sometimes we think we're the only ones that have been through it, but there's others that have been through what you've been through, and they need to know how you overcame and then we see about these, in verse 2, these seraphim, and it gives us a description, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew, and they called out to each other, holy, holy, 
is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I think it's a powerful statement and on its own of the whole earth being full of God's glory. But listen, we have to understand the lordship of Jesus. Understanding the lordship of Jesus helps us to understand everything else. What do I mean by that? Listen, there's a lot of people who are living out Christianity lordless. There's only one Lord, and that's Jesus. And so we live submitted to him. And so when you live completely submitted under his lordship, does, and he wants you to do something, he has a direction, a command, a purpose for you. Do you think not feeling like it is an adequate excuse? Do you think that, oh, but I don't want to do that, is, is adequate? I, I don't think it is, but the, really the only way we understand the Lord's heart for people is understanding his lordship and our submission to him. The Bible says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, you see, we don't go, go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus is Lord and ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. In verse 4, we read about how the, the voices of the temple and the foundations, and it was filled with smoke, the, the glory of the Lord. So we see this in Isaiah 6. He sees the Lord, high and exalted, the train of Israel filling the temple, the thresholds trembling. Listen, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is for sharing the gospel. I believe in the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I would even suggest and say that we need more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit at operation, even in corporate worship services or one-on-one -on -one time or in grocery stores, but just God doing his thing through people, manifesting himself through the gifts. But I'm going to tell you that what we, the first thing we see, the reason why the Holy Spirit was given to us is to be a helper that we read in John 14 and also as an empowerment to share our faith. So yes, you on your own, you may not feel like you have the strength or the faith, but that's exactly the reason why the Lord gave you the Holy Spirit. Because he knew you might feel inadequate. Come on, somebody. He knew that you might feel intimidated. He knew that you might not know every word to say. So what does he do? He pours out the Holy Spirit and he gives you a gift in him that you can do all of it. And church, you can. You can. Uh, we were, of course, on Tuesday nights, we've been doing our, our gifted class, and uh, kind of some of, even what I'm talking about this morning, we've talked about in that class, and um, afterwards, uh, 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 there was a couple that, you know, we're talking about gifts that we feel and abilities that we have, and um, uh, you know, one of the abilities some were talking about was that of public speaking, and, you know, when I was doing Youth Alive, and we were traveling around, you know, part of what we did, we did school assemblies, and in lots of schools, and, and I always felt like I was an adequate public speaker, and, and, uh, but then the first time I was in front of about 500 students who were all unchurched, I began to realize that I may not be as great as a speaker as I thought I was. And then I'm in, and then I'm in downtown El Paso, you know, I mean, talking in, you know, at a school of 6,000 students, you know, you, 
And you begin to realize, one, you realize just how many people, how, of, of the generations under us, how much they need the Lord. And I, I don't mean that in any way facetious. I'm going to tell you that uh, uh, we're seeing the generations beneath us are in dire need of someone to share Jesus and the gospel. But I, you know what's intimidating? I mean, being in front of that many people, you begin to realize, you know what, the only way that I can do this is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be a stump. Now, that's not what Acts 1.8 says, is it? To be what? To be witnesses. Verse 5, then he said, and so Isaiah has this vision, and then in verse 5, it's all over. I'm, has anybody ever felt that way when you've encountered the holiness of the Lord? It's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people of filthy lips, and yet I've seen the King, the Lord of the heaven's army. Listen, the, draw, the, the, the more you draw into the holiness of the Lord, you realize just how messed up you are. The closer we draw to the perfection of Jesus, we understand our imperfection. But the Bible says it's through our weakness that his strength is made perfect. And the Bible says that he uses this foolish thing called preaching the gospel to make an impact on those who are unbelievers. And so we, as we draw close to the Lord, we realize our need for him and also everyone else's need for him. Listen, I, there, I can't remember the man who first said this, but it's a, it's a quote that I love, that we are all just beggars trying to tell other beggars where to find bread. And then so we get to verse 6. Then the seraphim flew, and they had this coal. They take him from the altar, the tongue, and he touched his lips and said, See this coal, he has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Can you say amen? Our need for forgiveness helps us to share to share to others their need for forgiveness. That's what it means by that we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 25, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for your own sake and will never think them of again. Listen, if you're here today and you have come to the Lord and asked him to forgive you of your sins, he just doesn't cover them or hide them. He has washed them and we understand that if God if our sins had not been forgiven then the wages of sin is death it is not enough for it be just for me then he heard the Lord asking whom shall I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us and here I am send me Isaiah responds I really think this is a beautiful moment. You know, there are others we see in the Old Testament that respond to the same call. Abraham said, here am I, I'm here. Samuel, the, the prophet, he said, here am I. The Lord was calling. Isaiah said it here. We see in Isaiah 6, there's something that happens when you press into the presence of the Lord and you understand his lordship, you understand what that forgiveness means in your life. There, we know that the, the relationship between us and our Father has been completely reconciled, and we begin to hear and know the heart of God. Him saying, there's a whole lot more people like you 
there's a whole lot more people that are where you were. Who's going to go and tell them? Because, because God has chosen us to be the primary way for others to know the gospel, the good news. You understand the gospel is simply saying that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The, there can't be good news without bad news. The bad news is that on our own, we will never measure up to the standard of holiness to God. But because he gave his son and imputed to us his righteousness, we can know what it means to be forgiven and cleansed and washed and receiving that gift for eternal life. So the Bible says, but you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. I mean, we like that part. Right? Didn't that sound good? Right? That we are God, you, you are God's chosen. You are royal priests in his kingdom. You are a holy nation, God's possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. I'm not making this stuff up. That's what scripture tells us. You can, sh you can show others the greatness of God. He called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I hope that this series was a blessing to you, and we are so grateful that you joined us. Our next sermon series is called Suitcase. We're going to talk about anxiety, depression, stress, about casting all of our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. We're going to talk about Philippians 4, the peace that transcends all understanding. So I hope you'll join us. If you want more information about us, go to odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms. Once again, like, share to your favorite platform, and we are grateful. God bless you.